Hello and welcome to Ravens at the Crossroads. Today we are here interviewing with M. Maka Nightmare. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, one thing I noticed when we were looking over your uh, information is your name is not Nightmare is in a bad dream, but Nightmare, it's one word, but camel case. So would you care to go into a little bit of detail about why you chose that as part of your magical name? I can try. Um, <laughs> I was in a pretty crazy, uh, very zealous coven, first coven. We were called Holy Terrors. We were so modest. <laughs> and um, we were talking from time to time about whether anyone's, anyone's taken a magical name or if they wanted to or not. I ended up with Thamaka, that's another story, but the nightmare part, I just added to it. And to tell you the truth, it's really embarrassing, but the M, I changed to M instead of what the word is because I thought it was so ridiculous. It's mighty. <laughs> mighty Maka the Nightmare, which I think is like too much. And actually, if I met somebody who called themselves that, I would think they were really unsuitable. <laughs> uh, I'm trying not to use a swear word. Uh, but um, <laughs> we're, we're marked as explicit, so you're. Well, you know, good. I just think it would be. I just think it's a ridiculous name, and it wasn't ever con contemplated as being public. Oh, okay. And it's the mayor who rides through your dreams. There's a great quote from in Robert Graves about the nightmare and <laughs> eating poets and stuff in her nest. It's it's a trip. Um, but I, Maka is a horse goddess sometimes in some ways, mm -hmm. and I identify with that to some extent and I remember when I was a young girl running through fields and stuff and I felt like a horse okay so and you know it's a dream thing and and it's memorable and I when I left when I made some changes in my personal life with with regards of um, with regard to paganism I cons considered changing my name and I got grief for it. they said oh it's it's, you have a brand, yeah. <laughs> which cracks me up. So I didn't, I changed it privately, but not publicly. Does that answer your question? It does, it does. I, I'm uh, going based on information I was able to find on you, because I've never met you before, uh, yesterday actually. Uh, just for our listeners, we are currently at Merry Meet in uh, New Mexico, and we happened to run into Maka downstairs, and she was so kind to grace us with an interview while we were here and, and that is not meant in a sarcastic manner whatsoever that is hey i love to expound my opinions it's fine <laughs> i have a lot to say she does it's i true. have to try to tap it down when i'm in meetings because i don't like to take up too much space but sometimes okay i go overboard so another thing i uh, found <laughs> again it's okay to to clarify he's the newbie between the two of us and in this entire path so everything that he's experiencing here um, the people that he gets to meet it's brand new mm -hmm. for him so it's part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast with him was because he had a completely fresh perspective oh, yeah. he's younger than me he's another generation younger than me and <clears throat> new and you know white male and gay yeah yeah so you have involvement with Cherry Hill Seminary. I do. Less and less, but not for any particular reason, just because a lot of what I've done this has been implemented. 
Okay, and time marches on, of course. And with that, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've done with the Cherry Hill Seminary. Well, um, when Pagan Book of Living and Dying came out, shortly after that, uh, my friend Kat Chapin Bishop, who at that time was the chair of the Pastoral Counseling Department, asked me to create a graduate level course on death and dying. And I said, oh boy, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, not the death and dying part, but the tech part, because it was going to be, <laughs> mm-hmm. and all the classes are taught online. And it was pretty rough in those days because we had to use like Yahoo chats and stuff, mm-hmm. the live ones. It was <laughs> really challenging. We don't now, we use Zoom <laughs> but, um, and Moodle. But uh, so she asked me to create that, and I, I did best I could and I had 10 students I was pretty enthusiastic about it and they seemed to be pretty enthusiastic and I taught it a few more times it's actually been as far as I know it's been offered every fall semester Uh, it's never been canceled for lack of enrollment Nice. Uh, another person who was who was a student in the class has taken it over and the ironic thing (laughs) I have to just say this when you're seeking accreditation which Cherry Hill Seminary is and which I support I had to be talked into it, but I do support it. Um, you have you have to have your graduate level classes taught by a person with a terminal degree. Later on, you can hire people who don't have it. I have a bachelor's, so um, it was, it, and they wanted to move it into that program, into the chaplaincy MDiv program, which is totally appropriate. But I just thought it was ironic that I was good enough to to. Uh, design it but I wasn't good enough to teach it. It's not really what it is but uh, it's taught by a person also who doesn't have a graduate degree but she's supervised by the department chair who is now Vivian Crowley. Okay. So it's still being taught. Nice. It's probably undergone some you know some revisions and stuff but it's exciting and I feel very proud of it. It's it's definitely a part of your legacy that's continuing to grow. Um, So I'd like to hear about going back, going way back. I'd like to hear about how things were when you first started in this community. How was it for you? What was your experience like? Well, I'll tell you about my very first mermaid. First of all, we were just totally zealous. I mean, it was like we found it. It was really exciting. Um, this, these nine women, we were the first sort of graduating class, for want of a better word, for reclaiming, because we wanted to stay together after the classes were over, and we formed a coven, and that's how Holy Terrace happened. And so one of the people in Holy Terrace was familiar with COG, and it was a local organization. It was in the Bay Area, and she was really excited about it, so we were going to join, and so we did. And um, that was 81, and I've been a member ever since, and f- relatively active, some some years more than others, but... But I went to the first Mary meet. This is actually where it gets interesting. (laughs) The first Mary meet, because it used to have a grand council, and that's in the bylaws. You have to have an annual meeting. Yes, it's a board meeting. But they wanted to make it into a festival as well to hopefully do attract more people and make it more fun. And so we went to it, and it was held at a place called Rodeo Beach in uh, Marin County. And it's now uh, the Headlands Institute, the same facility. But at that time, it was a decommissioned um, army there was like barracks and stuff we stayed in the barracks you know on these oh, right. on these uh, metal cots that were like that doesn't they, sound fun. they were uh, they were um, 
Bunk beds. Bunk beds. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was pretty rough, but it was fun. You know, and I was young, and it did less. A lot of that stuff, well, those creature comforts were not as, you know. Important. Important, right. And so we, the Hoteras, um, as a kind of gift to COG because we had just joined, we created a ritual, which we called the Wheel of the Year, and we performed it in a, a decommissioned chapel. This was part of the Presidio. Military oh, okay. gotcha. outlet. Right. It's in it's in Marin, but it's part of GJNRA now, Golden Gate National Recreation mm-hmm. Area. And the actual facility where we did it is called the Headless Institute. They have a lot of cool stuff, but it's real upscale now for artists and stuff. You know, people have weddings there. It's nice. It's really nice. But at that time, it was in between, so it was cheap <laughs> and uh, not really fancied up. Yeah, it is now. Mm-hmm. And they had a chapel that they weren't using, and that's where we did this ritual, which was really cool. And uh, people loved it, and we loved it. And um, I like the fact that we did it in this chapel. It's now the visitor center. Oh, neat. So, yeah, so now it's full of uh, park, park so rangers. so this was where the first yes, it was. was held. Yes, and we did a ritual on the beach. It's, the, it's at a beach, you know, Rodeo Beach is a beach. Not a big one. And we did a, a, I remember that one of the members of the covenant was a coven called Home, Holy Order of Mother Earth, which I think is just a wonderful name. And it was out of Church of All Worlds. It was uh, Morning Glory and Oberon. Oh, okay. He wasn't Oberon then. He was Otter. But anyway, um, I remember this one ritual. We were uh, on the beach and we got this chant going. It was Morning Glory that sort of got it going. It was a decompose and recompose and decompose and recompose and decompose, recompose, which we did for a long while on the beach. My, my memory is sketchy, you know, these are just some highlights, but I was in awe because I was gonna be around, oh man, these are real witches, and they're really, you know, they're really important, and I'm just this wide-eyed newbie. So, <laughs> <laughs> and my, my uh, daughter was with me, my, uh, was my husband? I can't remember if he was with me. We had kids though, and we had kids that took care of the kids. But um, it, it was a lot less formal than okay. it is now, um, and it was fun. We didn't. I don't even think we had a vendors room per se. I think everything was the meeting was just in this room. I don't remember any vendors. I do remember we had an art exhibit oh, cool. of okay. local art people. So you know, then it got more more business like, and you Ooh. know. Because at that time, the only members of COG were in California. And the first, right. the first, it was the first time, I'll tell you the people I met there. It was the first time I met Judy Harrow, who had come from New York City. It was the first time I had met Ginny Brubaker and Dave Norman, who had come from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first time I met, um, well, Finn was there, I don't remember meeting him. Okay. And uh, there was a woman named Winsong that I met there, and then there was—I'm thinking there was somebody else. But anyway, when the when the uh, meetings were over, it ended up that I, think, I can't remember was if it was Judy or or Dave and, and Ginny were the new first officers. They were from another region, so we were you know expanding. Nice. They were in Chicago, and uh, Michael Thorne, who was who just passed today was a first officer a few years later, I think around 87, but he was one of the New York ones too, before we had a, a local council there. 
And then we had, I don't remember if it was the next year or the year after we had the very first Grand Council in Marymead was in a place called Circle Pines, which is a kind of retreat center in um, Michigan. Okay. I don't know if you know where that is. But. I do not, but... And I remember very vividly having the meetings under a canopy out in the, this grass, because uh, they grew their own food and stuff, and we were um, going to have corn on the cob that night, and we're having the meeting, and we're shucking corn in the meeting. You know, this it was fun. You know, it was really cool to be able to you know, participate cool. in that way, yeah. Not like now in hotels and stuff, but I'm not complaining, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun, and um, I learned a wonderful song, a meeting dance that Ginny Brubaker did, and um, I found out, and I've done it a million times since then, various places, and I, it turned out the dance, she lives in Chicago, the dance was from people she knew in Marin County, California, which is where I live. But I learned it in Michigan from a person from Chicago. But I spread it all around. <laughs> and, it, and I think it's uh, Sufi, okay. this, this okay. meeting dance. And I, was, I also remember walking around um, just idly between meetings and stuff, and two men came up to me, and they, we, we just introduced ourselves to each other, because the cast was really young then. And most people were in the closet, which is why we had a name at all, a different name, a lot of us. <clears throat> and um, these two men came up to me. One was uh, stout and the other was skinny. <laughs> and they said, uh, you know, what their name was, what, what's their name and what was my name? And I said, it was, my name's Maka. And this, the heavier one said to me, are you Maka Nightmare? <laughs> Which cracked me up. I had no idea anybody, but it was because the name is so memorable. He, right, and mm -hmm. it was Sparky Rabbit. Oh, okay. And the other person was Stephen Posh. Oh, wow. And we've been very dear friends ever since. The oh, both of those guys. Were, well, Sparky's gone now, but yeah, but they were exceptional, um, witches and contributed incredible stuff to pagan culture and witchin culture. I I use it adjective, witchin. No, I like because that. I'm not a wick a wiccan. Right, <laughs> and I think that adjective was came via Deborah Bender. Got to give her credit for that. Okay, witching. Thank you, Deborah. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, that was the first one that was outside of California, and not too long after that. So then they started sort of seeding local councils, and not too long after that. I don't know if it was local council or not, but they had a Merry Meet at Rowe Conference Center, which is in, um, I think, Massachusetts or upstate New York, I forget which. It's a pretty well-known conference center. And that's where I met Andres and Deirdre and a lot of other people. Uh, there was, at that time, there was a Texas local council called Lone Star, which is such a great name. It has dissolved years ago, and we've had other local councils in Texas since then, but I just, I was just, <laughs> starry-eyed and one of I remember they had a, a um, concert in the evening you know some sh some talent show kind of thing and this one person was uh, playing the guitar and singing and somebody snapped some pictures oh, he got off the stage and he ran up to this guy and he grabbed the camera it was really funny he's not in the closet now I don't think I'm not gonna say his name just in case he is but and I'm still friends with him. He's on, on Facebook, but I thought, wow, you know. And there was another guy, John Hollum. I don't know if you 
know who he is. No, uh, Yasod. I no, he's not Yasod. Uh, sh- uh, God, what is his name? Anyway, he's been an officer cog as well, and he was there. Uh, he was from Manhattan, and he had this whole black leather outfit on. This was a long time ago, so it was pretty impressive <laughs> to me. And it was early 80s, I would say. I know it was early 80s because I joined in 81, and I I think I was newsletter editor in 86. So. Okay. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. But there are a lot of people that I mentioned and the, who are were very important the pagan world and who are gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Judy being one, Michael Thorne being one, and um, Sparky Rabbit, and probably others. I remember when Sparky passed. I remember uh, seeing all the posts and stuff. And um, He was yeah. an incredible talent. Difficult to get along with. He had issues. So he'd have fallings out with people for a year or two. And I'm one of the people. <laughs> but, I mean, we were close friends to the end. Uh, but I, we did have our stuff. So does Stephen, for that matter. It's a creative community, and so there's going to be a lot of... Um, he certainly had an artist's personality, temperament. Right. But, boy, the stuff he contributed is so marvelous. And his, uh, he, they, he and this, his singing partner, his name is Greg, I think, uh, released two uh, cassettes, because that's what they had in the days. And one is called Lunacy. So a cassette. No, I, know, I, I, have, I made mixtapes. I'm not that young. I'm young, but I'm not that young. They were on cassettes. One was called uh, Lunacy, which was the name of the singing group. And the other was called Hand of Desire. And they're both just unbelievably wonderful. They're just wonderful. They're acapella males. Nice. And uh, one of the, actually, one of the numbers is Whistling. Oh. It's just, the, the music is great. Well, he managed, before he passed, he managed to get, because we did have the original recordings, he got the first album recorded on a CD, but a very limited quantity. And I think I took a dozen a dozen of them to California, and people were saying, hold one for me! And so they sold out, like, instantly. Yeah. I still have one, but there are no more to be had. And... Um, then the, he was going to do the other one. After he died, I've been uh, working with his husband, Ray, in Chicago. And um, we have been attempting to reissue the material. Um, we have a person in who Sparky had chosen before he died. A person, <clears throat> excuse me, in Wisconsin who's a graphics artist to do the cover. And... Um, Stephen, who was very close to him, uh, we thought would he would have trusted Stephen to write the liner notes. But uh, it's a question of ownership. It's a little weird now. I, I talked to um, CD Baby about it. So it will happen. Uh, it may have to wait seven years from his death because of oh, because gotcha. of inheritance stuff. Because gotcha. there's no okay. way to prove that that we own it. <clears throat> that we well Ray owns it, but I was working on it for him <clears throat> so it'll happen it'll come out eventually both of them I'm hoping they're, they're stunning they're stunning I have the album on my computer that's with me right now but it's not with me in this room but it's with me on this trip gotcha. <laughs> and I can play it so anyway um, and it, there's like things like lament for the queer dead which appears 
uh, words of music in the pagan book of living and dying. Okay, which is actually one of your books that you've written, yes? Uh, yeah, probably the most significant one, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Which you, I co-edited, but I did the heavy lifting, it's true. I yeah. Didn't, I didn't do all the writing by <clears> any means, but I did yeah. the coordinating and recruiting and all that. I was going to say, you with St- uh, Lady Starhawk. With Starhawk, Star yeah. Yeah. No ladies in that Oh, trip. no, that's right. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm only thinking... Lady Nightmare with someone who introduces themselves to me as Lady or Lord, whoever. Gotcha. Then I'm Lady Nightmare. But we don't do <laughs> Okay. But that yeah. particular trad did not Okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you're navigating through <clears throat> the pagan community, some members prefer to use Lady and Lord mm-hmm. with their as titles. Others prefer that they don't have their titles... Um, expressed within the community outside of their uh, particular group Mm. Um, and then there's all the different names maybe you know their mundane name but you don't know their uh, magical name Mm -hmm. but maybe you know their community name so you know there's there's and they generally choose which one they're gonna use you know a lot of them just are normal use a normal name and never reveal their magical name and some are like me I, I I'm known by Maka because, as I said, I didn't, I didn't um, anticipate this being public. <laughs> and when the opportunity came to publish the Pagan Book of Living and Dying, which I feel very good about, I feel that was a, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was a righteous contribution. Again, it's an anthology. A lot of wonderful pagans wrote stuff that's in there, including Sparky Lament for the Critters in there, and. Um, so I had a choice of what name I would publish it under, and since as a pagan I was known as Maka, and it was a pagan publication, I figured that I should use the name by which people knew me, because they'd say, "Who's Lena Bryan?" So that's how <laughs> I that's how I got to be using it publicly, and I sort of I'm sort of settled with it now. Yeah, <laughs> I I wouldn't know anything about that. I was gonna say, hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the Mistress Prime part comes out of my email address, and it was a screen name, but then it got utilized uh, when I was doing a radio show, and then it became my brand because on online mm-hmm. everybody knew my screen name, right. and now it's like, well, do I do I use my mundane name for things, or do I use my Mistress Prime? So it. I just go back and forth between the two. There's no way to untangle them on the internet in the rest of the world. But more often than not, this is the name that people remember much faster. It's a cool name. It's it's totally I nerdy. I mean, mm-hmm. people I like don't realize it. it well, maybe tech people think it's nerdy, but for me, from the outside, it looks cool. Thank you. It doesn't look... I mean, I wouldn't recognize it as being nerdy. It's from the Transformers. I'm an old lady. I'm an old lady. No, no, Sorry. No. But um, I think they're little figures that you take apart, right? Yes, yes. The ones that turn <laughs> the cars to robots. They, yeah, yes. robots to cars. Right. I think that so I know that much. robots in disguise. Yes. But in order, in terms of names, when I was working with Cherry Hill Seminary, of course, and as I, I have done a lot of things. I was a teacher and I was an apartment chair and I was a, I forget what else, but I was a couple of other things. And then I moved on to the board of directors for a couple of years. Now I'm on the board of advisors okay. with the likes of Ronald Hutton, which it doesn't really mean anything. It just looks good there. <laughs> they, they give a 
stamp of approval to what Jerry Hill's doing, essentially. You know, it's a reputation thing, but it's cool. Anyway, um, I was, when I was on the board, when I was the chair of the board, I started to use the name Aline O'Brien because of the um, efforts to accredit, get accreditation. And I thought it would be really not, I thought it would be detrimental to apply for accreditation when the head of the board is named Mock Nightmare. So I started to use my mundane name. That's why. I figured it had some legal reason behind it, not so much a person. Well, it kind of is a legal reason. Right. Uh, to, to use your your mundane name versus your uh, community name. But I'm not known by my mundane name for the most part, right. except for you know friends and relatives. But um, even in interfaith, I'm called Maka. Right. For the most part. I mean, as somebody had already told you, it's your brand. <laughs> that was Diane, darling. <laughs> oh, you can't change it. It's your brand. Yeah, you're kind of stuck with it. <clears throat> so, uh, that's what I can tell you about some of Cog's history, if that's what you were interested in. Well, that was definitely enlightening. I I wasn't actually planning to ask There are stories about Cog, that nobody knows this stuff. I'm, Be- not because ears. they're secrets, but because no one's ever asked. So I'm pleased that you're curious. Oh, yeah, it's and fun. it's so great to hear these stories as somebody who's kind of looking at COG. Is, I'm very new to the path. I'm tempted to uh, start the process to apply, and I'm like, hmm, what, what's the history here? Yeah. And there, there isn't really a whole lot of that, <laughs> and to get to hear it from somebody who experienced it firsthand is always very awesome. It's checkered. The history is checkered quite a bit. And I hope you join. Even so, I'm still so, hanging on, my friend. So tell me, if somebody asked you, what does COG offer? Well, I'm the one who came up with the uh, phrase assuring pagan rights since 1975. Okay. Because I think that that's exactly what COG has done for the most part. First of all, they, they have longevity. So say since 1975, that's for, mm-hmm. for a pagan organization, that's a long time. Uh, whether it's always been thriving is a different story, but it's survived. And uh, I said assuring, because that's what we have worked for. COG has done a lot of uh, interface with uh, police departments, law enforcement, mm. and with uh, the military, and with uh, reporters and journalists. Sure. So, to, you know, about misconceptions about the craft, basically. And sometimes there's a big crime involved in it, and they found you know, tarot deck in the person's house or something. And, yeah. I mean, it's a little more extreme than that, but they find some items, you know, in a, in a house that someone died in. And they see an it, athame it's like, or something. Like and they get scared. So, so we have established really good relationships with them, and then Interfaith itself started to grow. Yes. I mean, it didn't really get rolling. Cog was a, mem- a member of a group called the Bay Area Interfaith Council, uh, which I think is probably defunct now. Oh. I was but wondering about that. well, but isn't really necessary because of all these other things. Sure. But um, the, we got really into interfaith in a serious way uh, at, from the time of the 1993 Parliament of the World's Religions, pwr.org. <laughs> and um, the Parliament. Do you want to hear about the history of the Parliament a little bit? If you're going to share it, please. I told by you all I had a lot to say. No, please. I and, and I only have been to one. But um, in 1893, there was Chicago World's Fair, which probably many of you know, where the Ferris wheel was introduced and stuff. And um, they convened an organ, uh, they convened a 
plenary of some kind called um, the uh, I guess it was a panel or something. The Parliament of the World's Religion was a a, a arm, I guess. I don't know how you describe it, but it was part of the Chicago World's Fair. And one of the people who came to speak was Vivekananda. We're talking 1893. 1893. Since that time, uh, Western thought and Eastern thought, religious thought, has been, we've been receptive to both sides, you know. It became known in the United States, you know, as yoga studio on every strip mall, but that was unheard of before. And any kind of exposure to Eastern religions and Western religions to each other. So it had a great effect, and in 1993, well before 93 because it had to get planned, but Cardinal Bernadine, uh, who is the late Cardinal of Chicago, wanted to do a centennial. And so they did a centennial, and that like cracked everything open, it was great. There was a, lots of witches and pagans there, it was Indians in headdress, Native Americans in headdresses, and uh, just Fellowship of Isis was there, and a whole lot of groups. The Earth Spirit community has a choir called Mother Tongue. They're really good, and they did a concert. Mother Tongue And several really people good. gave papers. Brandy Williams, who's, who's uh, Coven Proxy I'm carrying this minute, um, gave a paper on the stat- state of pagan scholarship, which also is very different now. That was 18, 1993. Right. So it's happened um, every few years not necessarily a, a specific amount of years in between. But every in, couple of years. In other countries. And the first one was in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. I didn't go. I couldn't go to this. It's too much for me. Um, the second one was in... Um, the second one. There was one in Barcelona. There was uh, also one in uh, There Australia. was one in Melbourne, but that was later. Okay. And then the, the last one that I know for sure was in 2015. It was in Salt Lake City. Well, the last one was last November. I know that, that I went to, but I'm to talking the, about the one that I went yeah. to. Um, so it, in 2015, it was in Salt Lake City, which is, hey, in the United States. And I thought, I can't miss it now. Right. You know, I can't go when it's in other countries. But I really, I think they're planning on doing South America now. But I really, really wanted to go. And um, so I did, actually, and with a lot of help from COG, I have to say. And um, it was quite an experience. And what happened is I had a stroke <laughs> on July the 3rd. And the parliament was in November. And I had had a program that was accepted, which was a big deal to me. It was a ritual yes. involving masks that it was were phenomenal. Were you there? Yes. Oh, good. Hello. Yes, I was part of it. Good. Oh, That's okay. <laughs> I'm so glad. Thank you. Yeah, we had a chorus. We had three three voices and 13 goddesses wearing these stunning masks that were made by Lauren Rain, who's an artist in Tucson. It's R-A-I-N-E. You can find her at rainwalker.com. Don't forget the E. Or you can Google mis- uh, masks of the goddess and you can see pictures of the They were phenomenal series. masks. They really were. And she started to make that series at one of Reclaiming Spiral Dances. I think it might have been the 20th or something. It was an anniversary one. And I had recruited her to go to an organizational meeting. She got really psyched up. And that's that's when she started really rolling with the masks. And so there were probably, I don't know, maybe up to 20 of them there. And we had people wore them when the goddess was invoked. But it was such a fast invocation that you didn't really get to see them. 
at really fully. They weren't. They. I felt they were done a disservice by having such a, you know, minimal time to be viewed. So I created another ritual, focused just using those goddesses. With thirteen goddesses, I chose them. Of from the collection she had, I didn't. I couldn't just use any goddess I wanted to. I had to use ones that had a mask. On. Sure. And I created it for a pantheon. And it was uh, done there. It was really, really, <laughs> was on a budget, and it was, you know, it was just rough. People loved it anyway, but it's been polished more. And uh, then the Lilith Institute wanted to do it again. They sponsored one at New College because, again, New College had a facility. They had a big, <laughs> a big room we could do it in. And um, some people came from L.A. and stuff to be in it. Lord Jane's daughter was in it, if you remember her. Mm-hmm. And um, some other people from L.A., Willow Kelly. Anyway, um, so we did it at New College. It wasn't as, it was successful. We had a little course and stuff, but it wasn't well attended because for whatever reasons it wasn't well publicized, which wasn't my part of it. <laughs> I was disappointed in that because it's a lot of work. Anyway, we did it. And then um, I submitted, I polished it a lot since then. And it's I've, I've been in charge of it, but it's been co-written by a lot of wonderful talent, not just um, the mask makers, the masks by Lauren, but uh, some of the writing is by people around the country. The overall concept is mine. And um, I submitted it to the parliament, <coughs> excuse me, and I suspect because of uh, two prominent pagans who were very uh, prominent in the organization of the parliament, it was accepted. I had submitted other things that weren't. Um, one other thing. And it's hard to get accepted. Yeah. And apparently they, um, this got a little bit off topic, but apparently when they get proposals, they turn them over to the members that are whatever religion mm-hmm. the proposal came from. And I happen to be pretty good friends with both of the big people. Yeah. <laughs> at um, the parliament. So I got, it got accepted. And it was really an amazing, really an amazing thing because uh, I chose people who were low maintenance, <laughs> I thought, because that was important. Sure. And um, they were from all over the country and beyond. And they, we had a private Facebook group, which had the script. It kept getting developed. It had pictures of all the masks and which one whoever was going to wear. So from wherever they were coming for the parliament, they had to have all this stuff, costume to fi- finish out the um, yeah beyond the mask. Beyond there the was mask, additional you know, like costume. cover them in. But they had to each bring their own. However, it was going to show up. We had they knew what the words were going to be said while they were embodying the goddess, and we um, chose. I actually asked them to, but only a few of them did. There's a little. There's a transitional music between the parents of each one of them and we chose different some of them chose their own and some of them didn't. but they were it was pretty interesting because like for Amaterasu who is the Japanese goddess we had Koto music mm-hmm. which we had the second time as well and uh, for Bridget we had Celtic music and for this year for Hecate I chose um, um, Miles Davis <laughs> because you know something and he was doing and it would seem to me to work and then, like Sedna who's a goddess in um, Alaska we had Inuit 
throat singers, mm-hmm. but that music. So it was, it was not any particular genre or anything. It was what I felt was good for that goddess. It was a very powerful ritual. Thank you. Well, at the last minute, the CD had all the music on it. Wouldn't go into the computer or something. We lost everything. We had to recreate the whole thing. And Oof. praise be to Jeffrey Alba, who did it. He really did above and beyond. So, and I had had a stroke, as I said, in July, and this was in November, and so I was really not recovered, but there was no way I was going to miss it. So I had, I stayed with two friends who really gave me a lot of help, and, and Faye Lind, who's here today, today uh, had a car with her, and she was driving us back and forth, so I didn't have to walk or take a cab or something to the convention center. So it was really a collab- big collaborative work. We had a chorus. Um, mm-hmm. Ruth Barrett was uh, the musical director, I guess, for want of a better term, and um, a drummer, and um, three speakers, one of whom was Vivian Crowley. She impressed me, because <laughs> she's kind of, you know, she's a respected witch. Yes. She's also a chair at Cherry Hill Seminary. <laughs> and um, we, uh, I had asked for a rehearsal space and time somewhere during, so I had to keep in touch with these people who are scattered all over the parliament. And we finally got a little bit of time in one room, and all we got to do was distribute the masks to the people who are going to wear them and tell them how to handle them, because, you know, you don't stick your fingers through the eyes that they're sacred objects. And, and we got them distributed, and we did a blocking, and that was it. And we had no rehearsal at all. And... Many of those people never even heard of each other, and they were working together. Right. Some of them were people I met through COG, which was wonderful. And uh, some were from, you know, other pagans that I know from elsewhere. They weren't even all witches. But um, <laughs> I loved it. I felt really proud, and it's the best thing I've ever done, to be honest. And um, I couldn't have done it without the help, and I really was looking bad. Somebody said to me this weekend, oh, hey, you look much better than the last time I saw you. <laughs> I said, that was probably at the Parliament. Oh, yeah. So, well, I just had a stroke. I was limping It was around. freaking four years ago, too. <laughs> no, I know, but... Yeah, but I'm just I saying. was I was not recovered by any means. Sure, but... <clears throat> but I did anyway. And I took the train there, too. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Very civilized. It's much more civilized than flying. I drove. Well, that's fine too, but I want to stay on the ground. And I just, the whole routine of flying is <clears throat> very daunting. You know, all the stuff you have to it's do. It's a lot to do, true. Plus, it's uncomfortable and the air is funky and dries you out and, you know, all that stuff. So, I, it was a train thing. Anyway. So, to put in perspective for listeners talking about Parliament, Parliament 2015, Salt Lake City took over the Salt Lake City Convention Center. Yeah, which is called the Salt Palace. And, and which was a really beautiful place. Uh-huh. How many people were in attendance of the convention? It was like 10,000? Uh, it could have been. I really don't it was around never heard 10, of the final figure. Um, if from I all over the world. From, yeah, from like so many different religions, uh, leaders of variety of, I mean, almost every religion you could think of was represented there indigenous uh, cultures as well. They had that temple in the <coughs> in the, uh, in the front. lobby. Uh, yeah. The Jane Temple. Oh, that's right. That's <coughs> right. 
uh, and then plus the Tibetan the... sand uh, mandala that the guys were creating oh, and right. then got rid of at the, the end. And the uh, Sikhs fed everybody lunch every single day. Yeah, and it was delicious. You come in and get vegetarian. You come in and take your shoes off. They put something over your head. Sit mm-hmm. down and they bring you food. It's They did it this year, too. It's a huge, huge contribution. Yes. And really beautiful. So. And they're very efficient with it because you're in and you're out. No fuss, no muss. You get full on a delicious meal, and um, they must be working for a long time before just lunch. Because there's oh, a, always sorry. a big line too. But People. they get through that line really uh-huh. fast. Um, it was Salt Lake was a wonderful one. I did go to the Ontario one as well. The Toronto one. The Toronto, and um, they were there serving as well. It was again a great experience. Um, it was a. I felt. I honestly felt like Ontario was. The Toronto one was a larger space physically mm-hmm. than Salt Lake, but I could be mistaken. Um, it, it was just, unusual to have them so close together, both in terms of time and in and terms of location. In location, I agree. I, I totally expected the next one after Salt Lake to be someplace on Me a too. different continent. Me too. But and I think they're now looking at South America. I get the impression that was where they were leaning. So we'll see. But it was one of the great things about the parliament in Salt Lake City is that the official hosts were the native peoples of that area. So there were Utes and Apaches and other native peoples. And the uh, whole entire event was opened at dawn on the first day by the lighting of a ritual fire by these native peoples outside in front of the Salt Palace. And it was kept burning 24-7 the whole time, the whole length of the event. Uh, it was dedicated originally, and I think Greg actually has some footage of that. It was dedicated um, by people from all over the world who were indigenous. There was like a Maori woman, there was a shaman from Greenland, yeah. and not to, and all the local local native peoples now as that well. I'm thinking about it. Greg Harder does have footage of that. I, think I do he does, remember yeah. that. It was amazing. It was amazing, and they were and they had a couple of teepees out there. They had drum circles going. Or drumming, not all. I think they did something. I think they did the same thing at Toronto. I just missed all of that. I remember that they had the fire going in a location outside of the convention center. Um, So would it have been native peoples from there or native? Yeah, Yeah, and they had a wonderful representation. I remember going to see uh, a whole program about uh, native dancing for the uh, tribes in that Mm -hmm. region. so it was very... That's cool. I would have loved to have gone, but A, I couldn't afford it, and B, it was the week before the American Academy of Religion annual meeting, which I'd like to go to. And again, Cog has helped me do every one of these things financially, because I haven't been able to. But, um, and I want to say, just for the record, not just, but for the record, um, <laughs> The person we owe the most to in terms of getting COG and uh, pagans in general involved in uh, international interfaith is Don Fru. Yes. And Don Fru is, a, I think, a founding trustee of the United Religions Initiative, URI.org. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. There's uh, seven na- national or inter- international, uh, national or international. One is a... Nain, which is North American Interfaith Network, that have had prominent 
witch in presence. Um, and, and through COG, at least seven of them, COG has had, a, were participants in, and there's 20, 27, I think, local and regional um, interfaith groups that COG has worked with, COG members have had one or another kind of presence. Because you've been a, an interfaith rep for the Covenant of the Goddess for quite a while. I have, yeah, but it's something I never wanted to do. <laughs> I had to get talked into it. Turned out I'm good at it, but... <laughs> well, I was told that one of the first things they do... It's, it's progressed so much, it's not really like it was at first because people were very tentative with sure. each other and, you know, don't want to offend, but you don't want to com compromise, blah, blah, blah. And so um, so Don said to me, um, we, we talk about each other's religions. We don't try to convert anybody, but people are curious, and so that's, you share those things. It's a process called appreciative inquiry. Mm -hmm. AI and it's there are AI sites online that you can learn about it and so um, I am a survivor of Christianity it just never worked for me it, was, it just never worked for me never spoke to me and um, so since most of them were Abrahamics I thought I don't want to hear about their religion I already know I don't need to ask them about them I already know I grew up in it so I was kind of had that attitude <laughs> And I thought I would not be good because I would have a chip on my shoulder. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't. And as it turned out, I really like it. I get a lot from it and people, they like me too. And people, <laughs> people say, why do you do this? I say, because they like me. Unlike pagans who eat their young and eat their elders. <laughs> uh, at times, and we are very compromised if we don't, if we don't act in solidarity. Yeah. We don't have to agree with everything. True. And if there is a lead motif for my pagan life, it's uh, fostering pagan solidarity. Hmm. Uh, a couple people have asked if I would be running for board positions on the national board. My husband has already said, you're not allowed to. And not that, don't get me wrong, my husband doesn't actually dictate what I do in my day-to-day. -day. I wouldn't think so. But... He um, he was not fond of the way things went down the last time I was national first officer. Oh, with Jack, that's right. I forgot. And then talking about eating your young, I got thrown under the bus. So it didn't make sense for me to, because they're poking at me. Well, you can you can run for national public information officer. Nobody's going to take it. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Well, what about first officer? Why don't you try for first officer? Yeah, it's okay. We got a good person standing for first. Good. Lord Rodarius. Okay. Wonderful. He's got his act together. <coughs> He'll be great. That's and plus the whole makeup of the board's going to change because we're discussing different stuff. Having I did notice that on the agenda. Having a council that has representatives from each local council and that sort of stuff. And separating it from administration. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah, so we we'll do see. need an appropriate administration. So... So we'll see. You know, some people have been better at it than others. But um, that's one of the reasons I'm involved in COG is they're, they've been super supportive of this work that I enjoy doing mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Some of the interfaith people, uh, you know, are, are people of more means and they can fly places and do stuff without necessarily having a sponsor. But I'm not, and so I get to do it 
because Cog helps me. So, yay, Cog, for helping me. <laughs> for <laughs> you need your little flag. If, if people are thinking Cog doesn't, you know, is meaningless, that it's not true. Because in particular, as I said, the uh, assuring pagan rights. Mm. And you can edit this out, but I got grief for saying pagan rights from some of the members. Now we're all witches. I said, yeah, but the work we do benefits every pagan all in the, the world. Pagans, true. So why not exploit it? Anyways, it seems to be finding its way. I asked the webmistress to put on a web page a couple of years ago, and she did. And I didn't ask permission or anything. I just said, can you do that? And she was accommodating, and she did. Mm. But I'd like to kind of adopt it for to give us some punch, you know, having well, like a motto, you know? Right. And some of the things that I've heard that COG has done has truly benefited the entire pagan community, not just witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We've worked a lot with like um, Judy Harrow, and who's gone now and was very prominent in COG, and Michael Thorne, who just died today. And I think Phyllis Carrad as well, who's no longer a member, had to work really hard to get COG's credentials accepted by the city of New York for doing weddings and stuff. Mm. Every jurisdiction is different. It's nothing in California, you just do it. A lot of places it's like that, but some of them have more rigid you know, requirements. And so COG's credentials were recognized by the city of New York, but it took a lot of effort on the part of those three people, so. Okay. And since one of them just died today, I, it's good to re be reminded because what is remembered lives. Mm-hmm. All in with this podcast, they will be remembered by everybody who gets <laughs> to listen to it. Whoops. <laughs> Probably get grief for that, too, because I'm being very candid, which is both a strength and a weakness. I, I think anybody that knows you knows that you're a very <laughs> candid person, so it shouldn't surprise them. And the people that get to meet you through this podcast will appreciate it I think I hope so I, I like to I like to believe that I'm an approachable person and I, in I would agree in that with that role. and I have also been accused of being intimidating which I don't intend to be but people that find you intimidating isn't because you do anything it's because they already oh thank you <laughs> you know it's it's Women who are, you know, who are strong or just going about their day to day, are considered intimidating by people who expect them to be. There is that. A little more um, passive. I have a lot of yang. Yeah, and That's so. A good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I'm always fascinated when when people have said, "Oh, Monica, she's very intimidating." Really? I mean. I think she's awesome. Talk to me. Uh, yeah, really. Yeah. Just, um, I, she, you can just talk to her and everything's. But I think they either they get starstruck, or they're um, they're afraid of interrupting whatever you're in the process of going to. I don't know. Well, it's funny because of my own insecurities. Because of the name, for one thing, because <laughs> it's not exactly wimpy, and um, and it's pretty outrageous. Because a lot of people, it's funny because. They, you know, they have a green fairy party. They did for several years. Clifford, mm -hmm. Clifford did at Pantheon, which was a wonderful party. He never got to experience it. And I used it. to go to it. It was wonderful. And uh, Orion Foxwood was 
there and he said to me, I have this woman that wants to meet you, <laughs> some young woman. And she, he introduced me and she was just blown away because she thought I was some young goth chick <laughs> because of the name. She thought I was some young goth chick and here I'm this battle lady. <laughs> oh. But I, I, oh, I was going to say because of the name and because of people, because I have a reputation, I am never sure or often not sure whether people are talking to me and being nice to me because they like me or because they think you can get they want to impress you. me. Yep. And so I'm very mistrustful, <laughs> especially when people are seeming to suck up or are, you know, deferential mm -hmm. in any way. A lot of people take it as their due, but I don't. I, I, I'm not that secure. And, I, and it's true that some of them are that way. Mm -hmm. You know, they're mm -hmm. just sick fonts who want to make, you know, they want to latch on and climb yeah. up your cookies. But, but very few. Mostly they're real people. Yeah. But anyway, it's just one of my, my little personality flaws. Not really flaw, but yep. weaknesses, uh, idiosyncrasies. There we go. That's yeah. neutral. Right. <laughs> I think we've hit a few good points here. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add in? Well, somebody told me I should say this today. Um... Well, they wanted me to write it for the for the COG newsletter. Rachel um, Watcher, who is a national interfaith representative and is on the board of Maine and North American Interfaith Network, yes. said that they've been having meetings online, but what they've been doing to uh, acknowledge assent and not take up any more meeting time with saying the same thing in a different way is uh, wiggling their fingers, mm -hmm. and which we call a twinkle. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's a crack up. And we do it in Cog all the time. And new people to Cog go, what? What is this? this is weird, you know? And it is kind of strange if you don't know. But yeah, I didn't understand what twinkle was because they know. mentioned uh, waving the flag when you want to twinkle. Yeah. I'm like, twinkle, what's what? I know, it's crazy. Did you not notice that when we were at Argentine yesterday? I did, and I caught it. Okay. I, well, I they caught, were doing um, it at Argentine too, right? Yes. So I was in the early reclaiming collective when it was still a collective. And I was, I was just reclaiming for 35 years or so. I left in 2012. But I was from the original. And we used to have these really long-winded meetings where people would just say the same thing another way. And I said, why don't we, if you, if you would have said the same thing or words to that effect, just acknowledge it, gives it strength. The person, you know, it reinforces what the person is saying. But put your arms up and wiggle your fingers, which we call twinkle. Well, that brought, was brought into the cog culture, and it seems to have stuck. And uh, I just, Rachel today just said they're doing it at Maine. And it cracks me up because I did it. <laughs> that is awesome. It is funny. It's funny. It's not a big deal, but it's, it's still funny. I know some people find it um, peculiar to do. It is peculiar. It is a peculiar behavior. I think I brought it up because... Uh, Somebody was talking about issues with people clapping at, at uh, it's a it was a women's business mm -hmm. conference or something and I'm like well in one of the organizations we do this thing it's called twinkling and <coughs> this way you don't also run over the person speaking but you're exactly. letting them know that you're in agreement with what they're saying and um, they shot it down immediately and said really? that's really stupid well you haven't it is really stupid but it works <laughs> they should experience it and then. You know, right. I was so surprised that she said this about Maine. I mean, this is a, this is a you know, Canada, United States, and Mexico. <laughs> I, I don't. I, you know, I, I think that as 
peculiar as it might seem, I do feel that it has a lot of value, you know, like I said, not running over the people speaking, but also showing them support for what they're saying. It's effective, and actually now it's something that the pagan community has brought to the internet, or to the national, well, global. Global, yeah. Uh, this is hemispheric interfaith movement. I yeah. haven't seen it used in any other interfaith context, but still, she just said this today, so it cracked me up, and I had to stand up and say where it came from. I noticed you have some tattoos on your forearms. Yeah. Uh, what type of flower are those? They're California poppies. Okay. And uh, what got you to get those on your forearms? Well, when I was um, a senior in high school, my family drove across the country to California from New Jersey. And it was June. And we came through Tahoe, out of the mountains, down out of the mountains, and the, these hills were covered with these spectacular little orange flowers. So what are they? You know, my dad said they're California poppies. It's a particular kind of poppy. And I have loved them ever since. And it, it, there was, in the day, it really wasn't appropriate to have visible tattoos. Right. So I do have some others. They're not a lot, but they're not visible when I have clothes on, except for one on my ankle. <clears throat> but um, I was older and I didn't have to apply for jobs or do anything like that. I was in my 60s, I think. I was 62 when I got them. And I, I had always, and when I was a kid, they a lot of evening gowns were designed with the kind of sleeves that had this you know pointy thing over the top part of the hand. And also they made a lot of gloves, formal gloves like mm -hmm. that. And I want all my other tattoos I can't really see. And I, I wanted ones that I could see and that meant something and that were pretty. And my idea was that when I put my hands on the ground, I oh. am reconnecting with the place that gives me my sustenance, which is now California. So they're just about life size. Yeah, you know, they, they are. are. State flower. You can't see this on this podcast, but they are. And uh, that's why I got them. So. Oh, very cool. I. I... I, I, that was one of the first things I noticed about you, actually, was the flowers. And I'm like, those are really cool. <laughs> and I don't see a whole lot of older generation no, you don't. with uh, tattoos on their arms. Because, as you said, it wasn't socially acceptable nope. to have visible tattoos. Unless you were in the military, and then it was just kind of one of those things. That if you're in the military, you're, you know, you're on leave and you got drunk one night and some. Sure. Right. That's how a lot of them came back to the U.S. with service people. Yeah. So, so it was just it was very cool to see that because I've I've got a couple tattoos myself, but I don't have any visible. Um, I've thought about getting some on my arms where it'd be visible, but then it's kind of putting things out there for everybody to see, and it's like it, it's just, it's a big decision. It is a big decision, and I think a lot of people are very casual about getting tattoos. They just slap it on, and they're just like a bunch of decals stuck all over them. You know, back in the 90s, <clears throat> when heavy metal was, you know, um, dominating the airwaves, and KNAC was still on the air, uh, we would go to these clubs in the Orange County area, and they would have tattoo artists at the, at the clubs. Mm -hmm. and, the, and I had girlfriends that would just, every week, get a new something little tattoo. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you... Why are you adding Garfield to one shoulder and then 
you know, Snoopy on the other. It's just like these random little tattoos. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you realize those are going to be there <clears throat> forever. And I don't know if it'll still have the same meaning to you as you get later right. down the road, but uh, stop getting all the silly little tattoos that you're doing at this point. So now they got tramp stamps and everything. There's a whole generation of women right. The, tramp stamps. Yeah. So at the t at that back in the '90s, it was the, the armbands, mm -hmm. the high, and it was usually like you know barbed wire or something like that. And then um, then further in towards the 2000s, it was the That's stamp on the lower back and. Um, but now I'm seeing that people are, are being a little bit more uh, involved in their decision-making with regards to their tattoos. I think they are. I, I think it has to mean something you have to think about mm -hmm. before. I didn't get my first tattoo, although I wanted the tattoo my entire life from when I was really little, but it was so uncool, and there was no way. I couldn't even probably go to a place where there was a person that did tattoos. Mm. You know, some, some raunchy part of town, and then this nice little white girl. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> I... The first, uh, there's a thing, a phenomenon in, in reclaiming called witch camps where they have a retreat for mm -hmm. a week or two. That's actually how I know Jeff. Oh. I met him at uh, Witch Camp 2000 up in the Mendocino. Mendocino. Mm -hmm. um, I have not had anything to do with witch camps, but before the witch camps, we tried it out because people were asking to have our teachings beyond the Bay Area, other than Starhawk traveling around. <clears throat> and so we created what we called a summer apprenticeship intensive. Hmm. And we put people up in our houses and stuff. It was pretty low budget and pretty, you know, homemade. But that's what we did. We, we taught all the, it was similar to Witch Camp. The following year, we did it on a site called Jug Handle Farm up on the Mendocino Coast. And v, my friend Vibra, who was in the collective, dubbed it Witch Camp. And that's how it got to be witch camp. Nice. Okay. Because summer that. apprenticeship intensive is not too fun. It's a little wordy. Yeah. And it, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is a little intimidating just like that, the, the amount of words there. It's like, hmm, witch camp actually sounds like it's something fun. And from your experience, I mean, you had a great time. I went to, um, it was that particular year I attended. Gaia Girls, um, which was women between the ages of 18 to 30, and it was the only time I would be able to attend it because I was 30 that year. Where was that? Um, at the same camp up in Mendocino. Oh, Mendocino, uh, And it was also <coughs> run by Reclaiming. And then. Reclaiming? I, yeah. Really? Yeah. It was a, a short lived uh, program that was meant, for, it was, it started, the, I went to the very first one, and it was, uh, it was like just a three day weekend was just one day oh, okay. shy of a perfect uh, event uh, and then um, that got by me I don't know how but and then uh, and then that July I went to witch camp proper and that's when I got to meet Jeff Alba and uh, spent the whole week so but that whole experience those two camps completely transformed my world it's been very profound for a lot of people I came home um, feeling completely uh, more complete within myself, uh, more grounded, much more calm, more at ease with the world around me. I almost missed my exit on my, dri on my drive home. <laughs> I'd lived there for 10 years at that point. Um, <laughs> walked into my house and grounded. I didn't recognize anything, which was really surreal. Wow. That's I, profound. It was, it was a very profound life-altering experience for me. 
Um, and I was, I mean, even my boyfriend was like, you're like a totally different person. Wow. Um, and it was a wonderful feeling for about a month and a half to two months before the real world finally like crept in and kind of put me back to the way it was before I left. But it never fully got hold of me. Camp was amazing. Well, it's interesting because I've never had anything to do with the witch camps. Uh, not for any particular reason, but when I started to travel around and promote the book and stuff like that, I thought, well, I have to talk about this stuff so I should know what's going on. Well, I should say one more thing. When Raven Moonshadow was dying, he had designated me without asking me. <laughs> he gave me his power of attorney for health care decisions and so forth. He, and he insisted that uh, we work by consensus, and he named me and then Starhawk and then his parents who were dedicated Catholics, um, <laughs> whom we never met. We were supposed to do all by consensus. Well, fortunately, Starhawk was uh, out of the country most of the time when he was dying, so that just left me. And his parents didn't want that part of it, so I got to do it by myself. And I think he saw something in me that I didn't know was there because it was really profound, and I was really honored And in the long run. It was draining, but it was really amazing. And so... Um, the witch camps were happening, and I, oh, I was, the collective was still in existence then. The collective dissolved as a collective in 1997 with the principles of unity. Okay, that makes sense. And, um, right, so I thought, well, people are asking me about reclaiming all the time, and ask me about witch camp, blah, 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 I should know what I'm talking about. So they said, let's send Maka to witch camp so she can have the experience as kind of, a kind of a payback for, for, being Raven's midwife when okay. he was dying. So I was sent, I went to the uh, Mendocino Woodlands. And uh, so a couple years later, I applied to teach and I applied at three camps, I think, the same year. And uh, I was not allowed to teach, I was not accepted and I was really hurt and pissed. And in hindsight, I know where it came from. That's Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I didn't yes, it is amazing. Yes, it is. Okay, so then, did, so then you never got to never attend? taught. I attended. Okay, that you well, you have to attend first before you can ever apply to be a teacher. Okay, all right. And I attended because they sent me. I never had felt the need to attend before because I lived where it was happening, and this was to bring it to other people. You know, I didn't. I had it the teaching. I mean. We developed it, and I was in the Bay Area. I'm kind of gobsmacked by that. Like, I was gobsmacked, they, too. How could they not? Okay. All right. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> well, 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 I'll tell you when it's off, when we're offline sure. here. But the uh, I want to say one thing, though, because now after the witch camps, um, they now have um, a family camp, which is all ages, and they have programs for all ages at the same site. There's only one. The witch camps are all over the world, literally all over the world. Yes. Many countries, as well as all over the United States. And I've met a lot of people and been hosted by a lot of people through their witch camp connections mm. when they've, you know, imported me to do some workshops or something, uh, which is interesting, having not participated or not been allowed to teach. And um, so then they, uh, this man, George Franklin, who was uh, very active in reclaiming and has done reclaiming quarterly for some years, started a teen witch camp in the Sierra Foothills and uh, it's been going for several years I'm really really impressed with what the kids come back with I they did 
the, all, the East Altar for one of the spiral dances, and it was just stunning. They did an uh, incredible invocation of the ancestors the last year I went. Just incredible. And so since that time, they have uh, put together a workbook, from, and I just got a copy of it a few weeks ago, and it's, it's hefty, and it's really good. And I, so if you have teenagers, <laughs> or you know people with teenagers who are interested, and if you're in California, there's a camp, but if you're not, this workbook is really, I mean, it's mm. really quite good. And I say that even though I have some bad feelings about my experiences in reclaiming. So where would somebody get a workbook? I think you can get it on from reclaiming, but I can okay. find out. I have a a copy. I think Tyler's looking it up. It's really impressive. Yeah. And here's the piping. It's T E M Teen Earth Magic they call it. Oh, okay. You searching? Yep. <coughs> There's probably a link on the reclaiming site. Uh, TeenEarthMagic.org. Oh, they have their own site even. Yep. I figured they would. Yeah. It so seems like yeah. something they would. There's a whole lot of sites now affiliated with reclaiming. They're in different areas. They have you know, semi-permanent groups that are came out of the witch camps, but they're not witch camps. They're regional or local. Mm -hmm. And they actually have and it. They change uh, the workbook that you're referring to yeah. as a PDF on the site, so All people right. can just go on the site and download it and then print it themselves. Well, regardless of my feelings towards reclaiming, I want to pitch that book because it's good. That's that's and awesome. When I was a kid, when I was first coming up, man, the kids were not involved at all, and you didn't tell anybody. Uh, we had childcare for the younger kids. Part of the reason for that was that most of the people who were doing this stuff didn't have kids, mm -hmm. which was annoying to the, the few of us who did. Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, for PC reasons, they'd have childcare when we had a big event, but that's not the same thing as including them and right. not, and of course it's not appropriate to include them in a lot of stuff well, but stuff was tailored for that so I did the family camps and the teen so the teen earth magic is I, I they have, I'm impressed I, I, I think they, that's awesome because so many young witches <clears throat> who are looking to learn information it's better now but there's still so much misinformation out there uh, when I was growing up and trying to learn information, initially, when I was looking, there wasn't a whole lot of good information. And It was like that for adults when we started. Mm. You couldn't find anything. There was a couple books. Yeah. So, I'm wondering, where you're at now with your path, do you feel that it's important for people to who identify as, as being a witch... Do you feel it's important that they align with a particular tradition? Or do you feel like it's fine if they are more eclectic in there? Like, you know, some people are like, with regards to specifically with Wicca, are, you know, you need to be a particular tradition, like Gardnerian or whatever. And within witchcraft, it's a very broad spectrum. Do you feel that it that if somebody was new and coming on to the path, would it really matter what tradition that they would want to? Depends on the tradition. Right. Some traditions are, you know, I wouldn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> and some traditions, most traditions I would. But 
um, that had to do a lot with not really status, but feeling empowered in some way. Mm-hmm. I, I never heard of traditions until I went to, it was in Cog, and they, there was Garnerians, and there was, uh, God, what is it called? The one at Central Valley, look at whatever. And um, I'd never heard of it. And so some years into it with Reclaiming, we were having a community meeting. This is a meeting, not the collective, but to invite the community because there was a lot of griping because they, it took a lot of people to make the such events as the spiral dance happen. But they didn't have any decision making authority because the collective was who sponsored it. And the collective was varied in uh, membership from about eight to about 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, for from about 80, 81 to 97 when we wrote the principles of unity. But we had a lot of retreats during that time to try to figure these things out, how we could undo the collective or let go of it and embrace a larger bunch of people, which is how the the principles of unity are meant to be. If anybody who subscribes to them can call themselves a reclaiming witch. But at the time, um, we had these public meetings and I said, well, reclaiming is three things. It's a collective, dozen people. It's a, um, it's a tradition. I think it's a valid tradition of witchcraft. It has enough identifying uh, characteristics, even mm-hmm. though it doesn't have everything that every craft has, um, to be called a tradition. And so it's a tradition. And, and I, had, I said it at this meeting, and a bunch of people said, oh, wow, you're right. And it's really helpful to think of it that way as, as three separate things, and I can't remember the second one, but there was a collective, there was a kind of a, a community, and it had a community, and it mm-hmm. had help of helpers, and it was a, a witchcraft tradition, so it is. Mm. And I was the first issue. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Tell the story, but we're getting late. <laughs> well. I'm not unwilling to tell it, but I don't know. Oh, I told you I had a lot to say. <laughs> it's totally fun. We love it's hearing fun. it. It's it's great to be able to share your story with the community. So, <clears throat> come on, spill it. Come on. I was in this coven. As I said, it was the first coven. It was called Re- Holy Terrors, and it was a off. It came out of a ser- the first elements of magic class, and then the people who took elements of magic, which happened to be all women, wanted more, and so they designed um, a class called the. Uh, Pentacle power, or the pentacle, iron pentacle, and then, <laughs> and they want another one, and so they designed one called rites of passage. So we took all three of them, but when we, when we, wanted to keep meeting, we kept meeting, and we formed a, a um, coven, and we, there was nine women, originally, in this coven. Uh, and very shortly after that, a couple of other groups did the same thing, but this was the first one. And finally I said, well, I think I want to be initiated into the craft, not knowing exactly what that was, because I don't think any of us did. And yet have a sponsor, and then there was a team. And actually, one of the best things, I think, about reclaiming strength-wise is that initiations are done by a committee that is chosen by the candidate who is seeking initiation, the people who are on the committee, they can accept it or not. And they may know each other or not, but they are all entitled to give challenges to the 
candidate and the challenges this is the good part the challenges are customized they're challenges for that individual but there it's not a, there's not a like a a list of challenges is you got to do x y and z and then then you'll be initiated it's uh what that person needs what or what the people who know that person feel would be the most potential for growth for that person to do and it's, theoretically it's not anything you ha either haven't done yourself or wouldn't do okay so like one uh, one woman asked me for a challenge and <coughs> she wore heavy glasses and and I, I challenged her to do her ritual with her glasses off because it's a different kind of vision that you're trying to cultivate when you're doing magic. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, that wouldn't be a right kind of a challenge for just anybody. It had to be somebody who was very dependent on her, oh, which puts, her, puts you into a kind of more mind, more mental kind of state as opposed to more, more, per, more permeating, right. you know, to be uh, magical state yeah, yeah. so um, so I, I think that's one of its strengths and the, the uh, committee people they, they don't as I said they don't necessarily know each other but they can accept or reject and sometimes it takes a long time like Raven it took years for it fin finally people said okay he's, you're good at oh. this okay because he was messing up stuff oh. in his life <clears throat> and when he got beyond that, it was time. He's a pretty amazing person. Raven Moonshadow. Nice. What is Remembered Lives? Another, another, another pagan on. on the other side of the veil. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw how many this year alone? Four, Four at least. That I can remember. Um, well, one of my initiatives died last weekend up in Oregon, Panthera. Oh, that's right. Yep. Oh, Panthera. Well, until we're all getting older, and I that's know. why I want to. I know. That's why I want to keep documenting stuff, and that's why I'm mm -hmm. like spilling the beans here. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm super happy, and it's great for me, who's just starting on the path, to hear all these stories and just get the experience that you've had. Yeah. So I, I greatly well, appreciate glad. it. Everybody was in the closet back then, mm -hmm. and the the landscape has changed drastically. And the reason that Cog had designed itself the way it did was to get the advantage of the solidarity and the group you know awareness and all that and the friendships and stuff without uh revealing people's identity if they didn't want it revealed sure. but and that was really a big deal in those days it's a very few people it's a big deal for now as you may have heard in the meeting mm -hmm. um it's because it's not so terrible to get out and go I don't out think we were in the meeting at that point mm -mm. um yeah, things have changed, and I, I, I feel personally that some of the structure needs to be reworked for Hell more yes. modern uh, situations. Um, but, you know, I've, I feel like I have said this numerous times and uh, been ignored or... I've been saying it for years, if it's any consolation. Uh, no, <laughs> but I'm, have, we're not the only ones. Other people have, too. And I think this year it's happening. For the last two years, you know, COG has a thing called the Leadership Institute, which yes. was instituted by Amber Kay. We didn't used to have it, which is the day before Mary Mead starts, Grand Council. Grand Council. And it was to, you know, do something, you to, know, to enrich. It was an enrichment yes. kind of thing. And so um, I've done a couple of them or, and co-done a couple of them. 
mostly on interfaith. <laughs> but um, it's been it's really a good thing. The Leadership Institute in the last two years we've designed it to figure out ways to restructure and reform and bring cog up in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of hard work. I mean, it was nitty gritty work, you know, on the on the floor. I mean, the first one we did, which I designed with a lot of help from Manny, was um, you, you had tables, round tables. That we'd, you'd sit with a half a dozen people, and there would be a couple questions. All of you would discuss it and, and come up with some answers. And then at the end of that session, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, one of the people at that table would get up and say what the, what they decided, what their ideas were, and they wrote them on the wall, mm -hmm. on paper, and then they'd shuffle it all up, and it, you'd be with different people. Another six, you know, you'd be at different people at a different table. We did something similar to that, Massachusetts, two thousand seven, when we were at the University of Massachusetts, but it was more interfaith related. That was Laura, yeah. That was a really cool one. That was a very um, unique situation because I, I remember I was sat with a Quaker and, and several other <coughs> different Oh, that religions. was with that luncheon thing. That yeah, that was Laura really Wildman neat. put that together. Yeah, well, Laura Wildman Hamlin, she was also one of the founders of Jerry Hill Seminary yeah. initially. Laura's awesome. Um, yeah, she's really sweet. And um, But that was different. This was all cog people and mm. people who come to marry me. They would sit at a table and talk about witchy things, about pagan-oriented things that we need to address or how we might address them. So they'd stand up, one person from each table, and we did it probably six or eight times, but it would always shuffle up. You wouldn't be sitting with the same six people. So it was really very so it's really, rich. Yes. And we did have some people online sort of watching it. They weren't direct participants. And I was, Manny was online because he just had surgery on his neck and he couldn't come and I was really reliant on him. Because he does stuff like that in the business world, similar to that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't learn it from him. I learned it from one of the interface things I was doing. I can't even remember what it was. So we did that and we took all, and Amber typed up all the notes, notes and they're on the website. You know, things that, what you wanted, what you didn't want, what you thought, how things should be done, et cetera, et cetera. And then if the next, year which was in florida there was a guy whose name escapes me who talked about related things um, i can't be that specific because my mind is senior but they were all towards um bringing cog up to date <laughs> and restructuring it because because we were not doing well with memberships people didn't understand what value there was in it and that value as i said <laughs> is assuring pagan rights even though you don't know it Mm -hmm. And it's interfaith work, and they and these people in interfaith, they will, the other religions, they will come to bat for you if you need it, nice. and we should come to bat for them when they need it. And Cog should issue a statement every time a mosque is bombed, or anything like that, particularly in the United States. And some people say that's too political. That's what Cog was for, right? Yeah. It's so confusing to me when I hear people complain that it's too political, and it's like. I don't understand. And if it's too political, how then are, maybe it's not the place for you. How are how are people's lives too political to not say you know to not say something? Mm -hmm. Well, those two things. The one thing being, uh, <coughs> excuse me, being of religious attacks on minority religions, because mm -hmm. that's what we're about. Is our rights as minority religions. So why, 
and and now that we're real present, uh, an active presence in interfaith, even more reason mm-hmm. to be su- issue su- statements of support and policies about religious things. And as far as the kids being put in cages, that's a purely humanitarian thing. It transcends politics. Right. Agreed. Yep. Families are meant to, kids are meant to be with their parents. That's sort of the way the species evolved. Thank you very much. And so I think it's obscene, and I know that a lot of people think it's obscene, and I don't think it's political to say that it's obscene to separate children from their parents. So those two things in particular, there may be others that you could you could quarrel about. They're you know, taken aside, or they're too, for most people that don't like it, they're too leftist, they're too progressive, or whatever. But um, those two things, as far as I'm concerned, hmm. hogs worthless if they can't say something about those things. Well, so Take on that topic with regards to COG, so the membership has seen a bit of a decline. A for, bit? Well, I'm being really nice. You are. <laughs> Hemorrhage. Um, and there could be reasons, and I don't there know are. how much follow-up there's been with regards to that because I have been staying out of the Grand Council. But um, what is, uh, if somebody who has not a lot of people don't really know about COG, not really. And because uh, there's new generations coming up in the community, uh, pagans, witches, a lot of them have absolutely no idea what COG is. Yes, we have a website. Yes, we have a Facebook page. Um, back in the day, we had a MySpace page. But people don't necessarily know who we are as an organization. And when they have heard of us, it hasn't always been positive. We have a lot of negative things to kind of about. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so we want to. So, if Cog is interested in reclaiming, um, you know, memberships or, or getting people to uh, start the process, um, what's one thing you think that maybe Cog should consider doing to make that happen? Well, very much of the. This morning's meeting was about exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So I don't I don't have a pat answer. It's still under, but we're we're talking about restructuring and have the administration separate from the governing board, so to speak, mm. and having representatives to that board from each of the local councils, and so it's you know really coming from the ground up, which is what it should, um, in my opinion. So I think it's it's undergoing changes, um, and we are even talking about having a. I I don't know what the name. I think it was like a recruitment officer or something like that. I think there was something of that nature. And they mm-hmm. were talking about budgeting, and I said they were talking. I go all these places. I could talk up. I would love to round up covens for cog, but you got to get your act together before I feel like I want to squander my goodwill with these people. Mm-hmm. Right. And plus the other thing, and this is like kind of universal. It's not just pagan related but when somebody screws up and it's real there's big blow-ups about it and it's horrible horrible which has happened with cog and one thing in particular recently and uh that's what people remember no matter how many things you try to do to make up for it they the reputation is you've made this statement this stupid statement on black lives matter we lost a lot of covenant we a lot of lost yes. a lot of members because of that and I hit, I and well I was the most obnoxious but 
all the interfaith reps hit the ceiling about that with the falling meeting. It's like, we this is so hard to undo. You guys have, I have no idea how much trouble you've we made. We lost a lot of really good members. Yes. A lot of really yes. good ones. And we've been trying to win them back. That I, One of the things that I did that year, because I was carrying a lot of proxies, and one of the one of the covens up in the uh, Seattle area yes. was... What happened with that? I didn't even hear about that. That's a whole lot. Well, you mean their local council? Yeah. Well, that's years ago and a different thing. This is one of the covens that was... A member of that right. local council but working to make a remained new local a member, council. but this per no has remained a member, just okay. A, okay. in you know a covenant large, but I, they have to have a proxy, so they take the so they wanted. I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to propose that we have a social justice committee. Right. Well, the way they and they accepted that, but the way it was implemented was not really practical. They they would just want to have a social justice blog, and I feel like you. That's not really it, and and poor Morgana has ended ended up doing everything that was done and didn't get any other contributions. And I had said right out front, I'm not writing for the blog. I already have to write for the interfaith blog, but I did still want to be involved in it. And I promised these people in this coven and others that I would insist upon that at the next meeting. I, that isn't a promise that'll happen, but it's a promise that will address it. And we did, and we did make a nice better statement but that's not what people are going to remember the revised one they're going to remember the old one the old one is not is erased you know i don't think it's on the website anywhere or anything but there's a policy section right but you know, anything that's posted on the internet is forever i know and that's that's just well, the nature it, of the before beast. there was an internet anything that was negative that a group or an individual did is forever mm. it's forever connected with them. oh they're the ones that well, yeah, we are the ones that, and it was a screw-up, but we also X, Y, and Z. Right. And we also learned from that and have grown beyond that and tried to remedy that. And that had, so far has not proved very effective, but I hope it will at some point. And that's another reason why I keep carrying on about we got to make statements when kids are taken away and when mosques get bombed. Mm-hmm. It, it's... It's disheartening to see other people, it, just in general, other people getting attacked and hurt for things that... They have every right to do. Yeah, every right to do, and in some cases have no control over. Yeah. It's not their fault that they... I, I'm thinking of El Paso, I'm mm -hmm. thinking of oh. uh, Dayton... People have no control over where they were born. That's not a issue. Um, that it's not like oh, I'm, today I'm gonna wear my X Y Z clothes. It, it doesn't work like that. And so, I think more people need to take a stand, just in general. You're right. I totally agree with you. I will say that at the meeting this morning, there was talk about the El Paso, and they said that there were there was a cop presence very close by, and we should have said something because mm -hmm. they, they were kind of our people. I don't know if they're members or not, but um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice went down because I'm hoarse. But um, says the nightmare. Things <laughs> things are changing. I'm hopeful that they're changing. I have been disappointed in Cog for some years, to be honest, but I also have really enjoyed the interfaith work which I could not do without COG 
And as I say to some of my colleagues, another thing that's really different is that mainstream religions uh, who have ordained people with chaplaincy training and so forth, with uh, pastoral counseling and all that, um, have hired people. That's part of the job description maybe of a church pastor or of one of the team of people employed by that church is to be the interfaith participant. And that's, you know, it's part of their job and they have a salary. We only have ourselves. We're just not organized that way. Again, I get a lot of help from COG and it's valuable to me as, mm -hmm. as well as to them, I think. So um, if nothing else, I stick around. But um, there's always room for improvement and I am hopeful that it's underway. And as I said, the last two years, we did a lot of work towards that. So we have a lot of ideas to consider and, and implement or not. And for people to find you online, uh, I've noticed that you have some links on your website for your Facebook and a few other places where you blog. So your website is machanightmare.com. Which probably should be spelled because it's nutty. Yeah, it's M-A-C-H-A-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E.com. Great, thanks. And it's not current. Well, there is some <laughs> That's good... okay. I mean, I've really neglected it because I've been working in prisons and doing interfaith work. So. Yeah, there's some good content on here. <laughs> Thank you. I, tried um, to... I, I was looking at some of your rituals that you'd done. and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good information. I did here. that great spell. Yeah. You know, the spell when they, um, with the, was it in the 80s? Enron, the whole Enron stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that was the 80s. They had a protest of Bohemian Grove, which is you know, not a good place. It's up in the woodlands, but it's, you know, it's an elitist male. No, it, the thing it says over the gate is, weaving spiders come not here. And it's all men, and it's all rich men. It didn't start out that way, but it is now. And uh, there was a protest up there at, in Russian River, and I had Lauren's masks, the one I had worn in the spiral dance, which was the Morrigan. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's such a badass mask. I don't know who owns it now, but it's real scary. When when people put it on me for the spiral dance, and like I turn around, they go, "Oh, the person who fastened it." You know, little <laughs> kids were running away. I mean, it's really a hairy mask, um, and so I wore it uh, for this spell. I, there were some people up on the bridge, kind of calling attention to us. Andy, the late Andy Kahn and Diane Darling, and uh, Andy had donated this business suit. And I made fake blood from a recipe that I got from Sparky, who was an actor, and um, <laughs> and got in the I got in the river with the mask on, and I did the washing at the ford. You know, the they wash the blood out of the warrior's clothing if they're going to be dying in that warrior in that next uh, <clears throat> encounter. Okay. And I didn't really think it was for the death of corporate greed. That was my theme for. Doing this Washington Ford, and I didn't know it, but my friend Wendy Griffin reminded me. She said, "You know, two weeks later, Enron killed itself, died, collapsed." Well, there you <laughs> so go. So I, said, I don't. <laughs> I made it happen, but it is in line with what I was trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. I, I'm really not serious about the effect of it, but I like to claim it anyway. Hey. hey. 
<laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an interesting coincidence. It, it is. is. It is very interesting. It's a coincidence. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. And uh, I greatly appreciate all the stories. It's great to hear the history from first-hand experience versus reading in the book. Because you get so much more information out of it. So I wanted to thank you. You're Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you so much because I know we don't always get the opportunity to hang out and chat and this has been extremely enlightening and wonderful. Well, thank you. I'm delighted that anybody is interested because I I really worry about our culture being lost because people die and I'm old, you know. I could don't even say that. Everybody's yeah. going everybody's going to go there and I I we've lost a lot of people who've been wanting to document. So I've tried to make up for that a little bit. Judy and Sparky and stuff like yeah. that. Well, we appreciate all the work and, uh, and and your time with us today. Yeah, exactly. I'm thrilled. I will publicize it like crazy. Well, thank, thank you. you. As, to the extent I can. Well, thank you all for listening today and uh, catch us on our next podcast. Thank and you. You can be also, Mary Parked. Yeah. can also donate on our website. Yes, we oh, finally yeah. actually do have a donation page on our website, so if you'd like to see us do more travels... Uh, or get involved with uh, the community a little bit more, the donation page is probably the easiest way to... Help make that happen. Exactly. Well, thank you very much. Mary Part. Mary Part. Mary Part.